Olson. Kyle is from Central Florida, Davenport, Florida, to be exact. He is considered himself a personal trainer. Though he does coaching, he has been more focused on the development of players. Some of his players play DA. Some of his players play ECNL. And a lot of competitive soccer. You're going to find that Kyle is very hands-on. He likes to develop players more than most. He also believes in, in playing uh, abroad. So you're going to hear a little bit and you're going to learn a little bit from him. You're going to find out that he is someone that really is very passionate about the sport. So I hope you enjoy the interview of Football Chat with Kyle Wilson. All right, Kyle. So I appreciate you being here. Thanks um, for having me. I've, I've known you for about, uh, would you say about 14, 15, 16 months? Yeah. And uh, you've had the opportunity of uh, working with my kids. Uh, a little background for our 10 listeners, because I know Dave, shout out to Dave and Chris, who probably listen to this podcast, you know. But um, you, you, uh, you took my kids. You took them basically from what we say, uh, let's say Division III, um, and you took them to a high DA level. So when I wanted to have this podcast idea, I think you were my first thought because I want a lot of people to understand, um, you know, of, of how you develop my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, it's, it's important because now my kids are probably, as you see, and you're seeing them less and less. And it's not because of uh, commitment. It's because now they're moving on to different levels, you know, more of a team aspect. And they have been traveling abroad. But when it comes to the end of the day, they come back to you. And so, and I, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast because I think a lot of people have to understand a little bit about the, the, not, not a culture, but what makes you a little bit different. But I would like to ask you, tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, like, you know, give us a little history about, about who you are. (laughs) So uh, just about me. And again, I thank you for letting me come on and do this with you. I was born originally in Virginia, lived there for a very long time. I was essentially developed under a French system. So my thought process on how soccer is played and how soccer is trained and or developed is completely different, I think, than somebody else. Tell us a little bit more about about Virginia and what made you come down to Orlando, Florida. So, well, long, long story short, my mom ended up getting really sick. My parents wanted to move to come down here and I had offers to go to schools kind of all over the country, but going to school was never really what I wanted to do. And I had a plan in place to go to Holland, actually, when I was 17. Okay. Ended up tearing my groin muscle, and I was out for four and a half months. Okay. So. In, in Virginia, um, I imagine, is, is it different than Orlando? Is it um, like, like the system? Yeah, Yeah. so f- I think the level of play, comparing the level, Virginia is a higher level. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of the competitiveness. Okay. Here in Florida, I was really shocked and confused when I heard about the 15-mile thing. Okay. Because if you go up north, there's a club every two minutes. So it really increases the value of competitiveness. So what, what I want to, I want the listeners to know is like, yeah. I really want them to know who you are. So you're from Virginia and you moved mm-hmm. here to Orlando. And we're going to get to playing in a few seconds. Um, tell me what else you like to do. Like, is it, is, is your life just really around soccer or I mean, that's is, it. is it really it's very simple? I don't do anything else. Do you have like any ho- hobbies or anything like in reality? I mean, do you like the golf or anything like that? 
I like movies occasionally. I mean, my, I'm a big fan of Star Wars outside okay. of anything else, so I'm actually really excited for the Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah. So, so but that's kind of I, I, I would like all listeners to know that Kyle's going to take the days off in the next week because that's yeah, when Star Wars, Wars yeah. comes out. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I think it's important that people know that you have some other hobbies because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, from knowing you, I know you're very passionate about, about uh, soccer. So you came from Virginia, and what brought you down to Orlando? Well, I ended up going to school at St. Leo, okay. which is right outside Tampa. Which, it, when I was there, a very good Division II school, mm-hmm. and we would play a lot of the big schools and do well. And then I had a chance to go back up north, and then I ended up getting a chance to go to Europe or to France to play, mm-hmm. and that was a cool experience for me. But ended up getting hurt a lot, of course, and decided and, to come back. And so you went to St. Leo, and then your family moved to yeah, so Davenport? I long, it basically happened was my parents decided to move down here, uh-huh. and I could have stayed up north, I could have gone out west, but I didn't want to. Okay. I just felt like I wanted to be close to my mom because she was sick. Okay. So I came down to St. Leo and, and went there from there for four And then years. your parents moved down to Davenport, is that right? Yes, well, they actually lived in closer to Orlando, out okay. by Apopka. Okay. So they were out I there for you. a while, and, and, and then moved over here. How did you end up at uh, Four Corners? So I came back from France, and I happened to send out, they had a, an email address. I reached mm-hmm. out and said, hey, I just came back from France. I was playing. I'm interested in helping out coaching, gotcha. you know, helping the kids and stuff. And, and, and so I sent out an email, and then I got a message back. So that's pretty impressive. So you came from France directly to yeah. Four Corners. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought maybe you were just... You know, from, done from St. Leo. Yeah. So, so I basically, I had to, like, I, obviously you know Paul, but not everybody mm-hmm. does, but I he, I had a chance to go stay up there, but I wanted to, I, I'm not a big fan of cold, so mm-hmm. I wanted to come back down here and Correct. and just try and work on my own. So that's what I ended up doing, coming back down and trying to build my right. reputation and style. Gotcha. And we'll talk about Paul. Cool. And we'll also talk about Joel. Um, but I want you to tell the a little bit of history about the sport with you. You said you played youth ball. Tell us how you started playing youth soccer. Let's get really basic. I mean, let, let's if you played rec, tell us. I played play rec. rec. I started. I mean, started when at I was three, age? really, three? and then moved up, played all the who, way up until. Who introduced you to the sport? My dad. Okay. So my dad introduced me, and then actually by six, I had met Paul already, and then so it was my dad and this other guy named Ken. They coached us for like two years, but Paul was training us. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I was, I think, eight or nine, Paul had come in to become the head coach. Okay. So I had Paul from a very young age okay. working with me. And let's introduce our 10 users. We're going to use that joke. Um, uh, introduce Paul. So And Paul, tell us his name, last name. Okay, so Paul Gann, for me, is the best coach in the country in terms of development, in terms of actually getting players what they need to improve, and that's the person I've solely based, or I would say 95% based my philosophy ideas around because what he's done in that area is okay. just... So, so, you, so you met Paul at a young age. Mm-hmm. So you went from youth. Tell us when you started getting competitive. When did it start becoming competitive? Nine. At nine years yeah, old? So that's when we started playing travel ball. And okay. How long did you play travel ball? Tell us a little bit about travel so ball. So nine to 18, okay. I played for a lot of different clubs. And I actually played for a DA club, mm-hmm. so I did that for two years, and that was definitely a different experience. And it was a, and I'm sure it's changed a lot. But at that point, you know, we went to like showcase tournaments, and there were 400 college Division One college coaches sitting there watching games. Okay, so that's kind of a big change for people. And then of course you're doing all these different travels. Like we would in Virginia, we would travel down to Alabama, Florida. We went out to Arizona. I mean, we went like pretty much all over the 
southeast region of the country except for Arizona for a showcase. Gotcha. So we were driving a lot. And, so. and Paul was? He wasn't the coach at that time. I mean, okay. he, he was my personal trainer, similar to what Keanu or. So, so, you, so you mentioned Paul. Tell us what, why Paul inspired you. I mean, what, what was it that he did? Because he was just different. What he like did. Like, what was different? He act, so he actually focused on, he, he basically does what I do, and I actually focus, in my opinion, on what yeah. kids actually need, especially at the younger ages. Mm -hmm. So he focused solely on technical development, and then when they started progressing to a certain point, he would move on to other things like, you know, first touch or visual okay. awareness type things, and really trying to get players to master their fundamentals or master their technique, and that, and that made him you know, really show who he is and with his success. Okay. So, so you talk about technical development. So yeah. that's, so in other words, you started at rec ball, like most kids, yeah. then you went to competitive ball. Mm -hmm. um, then what happened after you finished competitive ball? Let's say around 18, did you happen to play high school soccer? I did play high school soccer and didn't play for a good school. Okay. So I wasn't in a good area for soccer. I mean, there were plenty of good schools around me, but yeah. I didn't play for a good school. Okay. okay. So I was essentially the go-to guy. But okay. I ended up getting hurt a lot. It's just okay. kind of been a theme for me. So, so you, you played rec, competitive. Yeah. Well, when I was 14, I actually went to OL like Keanu did. Tell us about that because that's the next thing I want. I want you to tell us a little bit about playing with these professional clubs. So, okay. So then there was an experience right before that, actually. I actually went to Brazil before that and I played with Palmeiras and Santos. Was that ODP? Or no, was that was a know? friend of mine that I knew. He he took like a group, like five or six of us, okay. and he took us over and was like, hey, you guys are very good. Let's see how you compete against actual good players, okay. you know, because obviously America's not known for that. Mm -hmm. And so we went over there. And again, you know, one of the big things that I noticed or a big change was I was 13 at the time, and we I was there for three weeks. Okay. And we played soccer once, maybe twice. Okay. And every other time we are playing futsal. Okay. So it's just funny, like the differences. I mean, then you really get to see how good somebody actually is. Gotcha, gotcha. And that yeah. makes a big difference because, you, you know, you can play 11 v 11 and how many kids do you see that they just kind of hide when they play? Right. So, you, so you went to Brazil. That was your first outside. International trip, yeah. And then, and then a little bit more. What else? So then oh. after that, I actually, we went to Scotland for a tournament. I played on the club team and okay. we got invited to a Rangers Cup and we got second place, I believe. And that was a cool experience because you're playing against Scottish teams. And the biggest difference for us was how physical, I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, they were very, very aggressive, a lot more aggressive than we were. Like we In were Scotland. Much, yeah, yeah. Very, very physical, very aggressive. And that seems to be a common theme with the, with that region in terms yeah. of physicality. Make, makes sense. One, one of the things I do see a lot is that each country has a different style, style. Yeah. And, and different focus that they do. So you went to Brazil and you went to Scotland. And, and then shortly after that. I want to say six months, a little later, maybe I ended up going to France. Mm -hmm. Joel, well, actually, I guess first Joel came down to Paul because they did a camp, and Paul had told had told Joel about myself, and he felt that I was good enough to go train. So I had a bunch of challenges that I had to do so yep. Joel could test me. And actually, the first challenge I will never forget this: it was a juggling challenge, and okay. I had three tries, and I had to do it in front of about. 75 kids and a bunch of parents. It was myself, nobody else. It was actually kind of nerve-wracking. But in the end, it was 50 juggles with the right foot, 50 juggles left, 50 juggles both feet, and then 50 headers without dropping the ball. And he told me I had three tries, and this was the first test that he gave me. And I actually passed in the first try. I'll be darned. So it's it's you know it's it's an interesting point because it's like you know they they're. If you look at international clubs, they're not looking at the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. They're looking for kids that can actually play. Control, yeah. And they and they base that off the first thing. And so. the the 
uh, coach's name is Joel French, right? Frechet, yeah. Frechet. Yeah. Sorry, Joel, I didn't yeah. pronounce it uh, with the French yeah. accent. <laughs> but w one thing I noticed is that with Olympique Lyon, is it, it is it is a club that it's very traditional. Yeah. It, it's got roots. Mm -hmm. So, how was your experience when you when you went to? Uh, Shocking, mm -hmm. to say the least. I mean, how were the other players? Everybody was just very good. Uh, there wasn't like a huge difference in skill level at that age. Mm -hmm. I mean, you obviously have some people that are very good, and then you had, but there wasn't, it's not like here where you have like three kids that are good, mm -hmm. and then there's a major drop off. It was, everybody's consistently very good. How did you feel you competed among them? Oh, I did very well, and that's what they told me at the end. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing was, well, long story short, I ended up going twice. Mm -hmm. The reason why, first one, I actually broke my collarbone on mm -hmm. the first trip. Mm -hmm. So I broke it, and then I had to come back about, that was in, I went in the fall, I had to come back in the spring, so you're talking another six months later. So I went back and ended up finishing all, this, all the work. And at the end, they said, look, you're very good, but the problem is we don't need you. They're like, we're not looking for somebody very good because if they had to bring me over, they would have paid a lot of money, they had to take care of my parents. But they're looking, at that point, they're looking for somebody like, you know, similar to a Messi or Ronaldo. Right, right. And I wasn't at that level. Correct. And it's hard for an American to be at that level. Did you ever strive to, to make it? Oh, of course. But the, the biggest challenge that I see for anybody right now, and this is exactly what happened to me, you have to know people. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I've noticed, and, and I see way too much, is people always shoot for the big clubs mm -hmm. instead of trying to just get the foot through the door. Correct. And it kind of goes for any job, like get your foot through the door, then you build your way up. It's, you know, start right. from the ground level and, grow, and grow you know, if I knew this at the time or whatever, I would have tried to go to a smaller club, maybe a division three, division four, whatever it is, get in, because as you probably saw, all the big professional clubs, they have networks, I can't think of the word, but they have relationships, partnerships right. with all the regional clubs that are directly right. around them, associations and stuff. So they pull the players and they put them in their academies that they're good enough. How did you deal with, uh, let's say, the food? Did you like the food in Lima? At first, I didn't like it yeah. when I was a kid. It's kind of tough, huh? Yeah, as a kid, I didn't like it, but now I really appreciate it and enjoy it. But I think my diet has changed considerably since. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your diet because you do focus a lot on, on so, taking care of yourself. Yeah, so when I was growing up, I never really took care of myself. One of the biggest things I used to do was drink a Slurpee every day. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's terrible for you. Yeah. So now I obviously know it's a lot better, but at the time I didn't. And so I'm a big advocate on trying to make sure you do the right things for your body, especially Correct. if you want to be a soccer player or an athlete in general. Correct. And... You know, it's, you can't force a kid to do it or somebody to do it, but it's a gradual process that I think you'll learn. If it's something that, if a kid has an actual mindset to do, they'll learn to mm -hmm. start doing it, or they won't, and they won't end up doing the right things to take care of themselves. I, I, yeah, because one of the things that I found when I went to Lyon, it, it is a challenge. I mean, it's, it's a culture challenge. It's, yeah. a, it's a food. Let's just focus on the food. When a kid goes to Europe, it's different, you know? So when, when you were a kid, do you feel you were mature? for these tryouts or do you think I mean how, how was it because not many people have the opportunity to to visit Lyon you know visit let, let me ask let me pose a question mm. were you officially invited for a tryout or was it an experience I was invited for a tryout it was an actual because at that time the rules have changed but Correct, at the have. time I was eligible for it so Joel brought me over as the first kid first American kid to do it and that kind of opened up the gates for them to look at other American kids because if Joel could prove that I was good enough, Olympic Lyonnais would have looked at more kids Correct. and that's exactly what happened. So they, you know, they gave me a chance. It was awesome I, and I do appreciate it because I didn't have to. I could have been stuck right. here and not even done that. I just wish that 
knowing the things that I know now, I could have gone and done a different path and just try and get my foot through the door. But you have right. to know somebody to do that. So you did the Lyon. Yeah. What happened after that? So, like soccer-wise. Yeah. So actually pretty interesting after that. I ended up breaking my collarbone. I came back, broke my collarbone again. Mm -hmm. So within the span of a year, actually less than probably 10 months, I broke my collarbone twice. And so I was stalled for a while. Mm -hmm. And I really expected to go and push to another level. At that time, I was on the border of being called up to the national team, Bull. Okay. And in my opinion, I was very good, but I think because of the things that I had done at that time, I let that kind of get to my head. Mm -hmm. And I, because I wasn't playing against the same level of kids. So mm -hmm. when I came back, the level dropped considerably. And when you're over there, you're playing against better players the whole time. And then when you come back here, you have one or two players that are maybe to the equivalent level or better than you. So you're not competing against the best the whole time. And that, you know, you're, I was kind of in this phase, well, I should be over there playing, I'm stuck here. Right. And so that kind of slowed me down for a while. And then shortly after that, I ended up going to a different club before the DA process so, happened. So this is all while you were still young. Yeah, so, so you were doing still club soccer. 15, 16. Okay. So I, I came back from OL at 14, broke my collarbone again, turned 15. I think I played for the same team for maybe a season. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to a different club that ended up getting a DA six months later. So basically what happened was played for that club for six months. Then the DA came around. So I started playing DA ball at seven, 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. And then played for two seasons, ended up going to St. Leo. How did you feel coming back from Leon and going back to the club? Did you find it easier? I mean, did you feel you were better or did you just, just, how, how did you play after you came back from these trials? From uh, I, I was very arrogant. Uh, like I said, I felt like I was, I shouldn't have been at that level anymore mm -hmm. because, you know, you go over there, you experience you that and everything is just that much higher. The level was that much higher. And I'm like, I could compete with those guys. Why am I coming back over here competing with, you know, the average right. player that doesn't have the same desire? Because right. I think a lot of people don't realize this or take into consideration that those players in that academy are trying to become professional. Right. Whereas if you compare it here, most are like, well, I'd rather go to college or maybe I don't want to play anymore. So I, I think a lot of people in. don't understand the structure, like, for example, first team versus second team, mm -hmm. which we call the reserves, yeah. you know, and then you have your 21s and you go 19, yeah. 17, 15, you know, 12. So I, I, I get that. And um, tell us, so you're about 15, 16, mm -hmm. you, you went to Lyon. When did college become an option for you? And tell us how you got into St. Saint, Saint Leo. I, I, I know you know... Here we also a shout out to Joel, who's a common friend, mm -hmm. you know, but tell me how, how, how did college come into your soccer career? Well, I, I didn't get into it to late mm -hmm. because what is late? Tell us. Uh, so pretty close. I would say I probably started college recruiting by the time I was just about done with my junior year Okay. because I didn't know again, it's mm -hmm. an educational standpoint. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that I didn't know about the American system. And these are things that I'm sure a lot of people are facing is how the system works. And so, you know, you should be starting recruiting by your freshman year in high school. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that. So, because I was under the impression that all these schools would come after me since I'm playing at a DA and I'm doing this, but they all have their recruiting statuses or quotas that they're trying to meet and fill. Okay. So they're talking to players that are talking to them. And so if you know how the process works, you have an advantage and I didn't. So how did, how did you meet Samuel? I happened to go down to, I think it was, IM, we went down to Florida for two games. We played Clearwater Chargers mm -hmm. and we played IMG and their assistant coach at the time happened to come to one of our games mm -hmm. and sent me an email from there. 
Okay. So, and, and is that how, that's long how story. That's how I ended up after a while of talking with, you know, my parents and seeing what they're going to do and finding schools that I thought would fit for me. I ended up doing that. Did you get offered a scholarship? I, I got a little bit, not much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's very so, hard to get scholarships. So in other words, so then you came from yeah. Virginia yeah. down to San Leo. San Leo, which is Tampa, right? Close to it. Yeah. And what do you think of San Leo? At the time, it, when I first went there, it wasn't as great as it is now. Mm-hmm. It's come a long way. Mm-hmm. And it's much better now, but the team was good. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a lot of issues with the college system that did, I could go on to. Did you adapt to the college system? There's a definite learning curve because it's different. I mean, it's different than a European academy. It's different than club soccer by a long shot. And it's different in a sense because you have to learn how to basically at that time, take care of yourself, manage school, manage, manage a sport and put it all together and tie it together. I so you. figuring out like, you know, for example, you might have a practice at 9 a.m. and then you have to go to, a, you know, a class immediately afterwards and you have to eat and then you have to go to another right. class, maybe another practice, weight training or whatever it is. So it's a different type of thing. And, and for soccer players, it's, I think, tougher because especially if you're new to college, right away when you first come, you're going into soccer, like the full cool. season. So it makes it harder. So you went into college soccer. Mm-hmm. Tell us, um, you did four years at San Leo, mm-hmm. right? You got a degree. Yep. What, what kind of degree? Sport business. Okay, so you're a sports business guy. Yeah. Is, and then um, what did you do after college? I mean, did so you... So I had to do an internship. Okay. So I actually did that with Paul. I okay. went up to D.C., did that for three months. That's when I kept playing and ended up getting looked at by a friend of his, Paul's friend, who was a scout, and said, hey, you're still good enough, why are you not playing? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went back over to France. And where'd you go to France? A town right outside, it's right outside Saint-Étienne. Okay. So a very small area. And did you play? Yeah, I played. What type of ball did you play? It was Division Four. Okay. So it wasn't, it's kind of like a cusp of semi-professional amateur. Sure. And the, Again, it was a very different type of experience, different tough level, but the goal, you know, there was kind of like a plan laid out for me. So Mm -hmm. basically it was, I stay there for basically six months until January. Then January, I would have gone on trial with two or three, depending on how well I did, maybe one, with uh, League Two teams, League Two teams, Mm -hmm. and then try and, you know, work my way up from there. So it's kind of like a process. It's like a welcoming system. You go in, you stay at, they they call it paying your dues. You Mm -hmm. go in, you live the process, you learn what it's like, Correct. And then they give you a chance to go play for these other teams. So that's essentially what I was paying my dues, learning the process, seeing what it's like, going through the system. How long did you do it for? I came back after four months because I was pretty much promised. I, I came on a standard travel visa, which mm-hmm. is 90 days. Correct. And the yeah, club I was with, part of the agreement was they would have taken care of my visa. And the paperwork wasn't finished in time. Okay. So I had to end up coming home. How did you feel when you came home? Disappointed. Yeah. Because, you know, you... Did you feel that was like your last shot at, at your dream or... Did I feel like it was... It was like... I, I was just kind of very down about it because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there, literally we spent two and a half months planning a process saying mm-hmm. this is how it's going to work. This is what you're going to do. And this is the steps you're going to take. And it kind of crumbled in a couple months. So that was kind of depressing for me and it made me kind of reconsider because it's not like the club that... They helped me out a lot. They paid for pretty much everything and they took care of what I had to take care of. 
but they, it's, you know, I had to pay to get over there. I had to take care of a few other expenses and it, it wasn't like I was making a lot of money. I mean, I, I made a little bit of money, but it wasn't enough to survive. So that's when you start outside of the things that they helped me with, Correct. like housing and food and stuff. But that's when I was like, well, you know, I'm at that time I'm 23 and I'm sitting here and evaluating what do I actually want to do. So you were 23 with a sports degree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you were an educated young man trying to follow your dream. Yeah. Okay. And then I, you know, I, I came back and that's when I started. It took me a couple, probably a week and a half, two weeks to kind of just figure out what I actually wanted to do. If I wanted to go back again, cause they're like, look, we can send you somewhere else. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to have the same situation where I get stuck, waste a lot of time and it doesn't work. And so that's when I was evaluating my period of what do I want to do next? And that's when I, ended up reaching out to Four Corners and, and going into coaching here instead of so, going back up north. So if, if I understand you correct, when when you reached out to Four Corners, you were doing, you just finished a stint as a professional, semi-professional. Uh, yeah, you could call it that, yeah. So uh, that's when I came back, and it was about a week and a half later, I ended up, my parents told me, there was like, oh, there's a club down the street, why don't you look at it? So I happened to reach out to the club, and that's when they contacted me gotcha. back. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, so I, I believe that's how you can relate to, to the youth of trying to become a professional. Yeah. Am I right? Did you feel, did, let me ask you point blank, do you feel you can still play? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not in any good shape. How old are you? I'm 25 now. So you're 25. So do I feel like I can still play? Absolutely. I, I don't train, so I'm out on the field too much or doing something else, you know, things that I want to do now. So I don't. I just don't play. I don't. I don't train the same way. I used to go to the gym a lot. I don't go to the gym. I've actually lost a considerable amount of weight over the course of two years. And so. and so you finish your stint. So you told us a little bit about youth ball. You know, competitive. How Paul and Joel influenced you mm-hmm. about your experience in, in in France, and also about the playing in college, and then about another stint in in professional. So after all that, you started a a company, right? Tell us about the company you started. So I ended up wanting to help players try and develop the right way and try and go to the next level. So I started a company called Sign Out Sports. And really, I, I came here. This is why I wanted to come here, because when I came down here during that week and a half, I kind of visited some areas. Uh-huh. And I saw how poor the soccer training was, the soccer level was. And I was like... I need to do something to help and tell, and change stuff. Change tell our listeners what, what you do. So I, I essentially, I consider myself the number one technical trainer in the area, if not in the country. I think I do a very good job. I'm that confident myself. And I really focus on the technical part, really emphasizing ball mastery. Okay. And I think now my record really shows for itself what I've been able to do. Tell the viewers exactly what what are you? Are you a coach? Or are you a trainer? I consider right now I don't I don't coach, so I train. So I I consider myself one of the best trainers. Now as a coach, I think I do a very good job as a coach, but I'm not coaching right now. Correct. So tell, tell us uh, what 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 do you focus on with any player? So immediately off the bat, the first thing I always do is test, challenge, critique whatever word you want to use, the technical aspects. So I start with every exercise or every evaluation period, whatever point you want to call it, is the ball mastery period. And that encompasses a whole bunch of different topics from shooting to passing okay. to dribbling. to Tell us a little touch. bit about ball mastery because I really would like the, 
our listeners to understand what is ball mastery. I mean, that's something that I I know about, but it's because I kind of been with you. I mean, you're the one that first introduced me to ball mastery, mm-hmm. but I would like you to maybe spend about 30 seconds telling the listeners about what is ball mastery. So to me, ball mastery is actually understanding and being able to manipulate the ball to your advantage, in my opinion, and that encompasses everything related to the soccer ball, to whether okay. that's dribbling, to ball control, to first touch, to shooting, to passing. So it's everything, learning how to master how the soccer ball works, how it moves, how, when you take a certain touch, how it reacts, okay. and actually being able to control the ball. Because in my opinion, if you're able to master the ball, you can actually, one, take over a game, and then two, learn to or be, or be able to unlock your actual potential. And that's what... You know, that's what I grew up under, under the, what I call the French system and, and what they focus on. And, and, I, and, you know, one of the things that I got a chance to do is actually go back to Olympic Lyonnais mm-hmm. a little more than a year ago. And we got to see all the younger teams doing the exact same kind of stuff, learning how to manipulate the do, ball. And Do you feel that the Europeans take ball mastery lightly and Americans just don't know what ball mastery is? I mean, what's, why, why the focus on ball mastery? Because if, if you... I know you mentioned that one, if you're one with the ball, you, you can control the game. Mm-hmm. But it, it, give us a little bit more why ball mastery is so essential. Let's say to a new player. If, if anybody has, again, in my opinion, if anybody has aspiring aspirations to play professional soccer or even college soccer, you, it's not possible unless, you have, if you, unless you're technically proficient if you've mastered the ball. If you look at any of the best players in the world, what they can do with a soccer ball is incredible. And, you know, you can highlight Ronaldo, you could highlight Messi, you could highlight Neymar, and you just watch those guys play, and it's... Do you think Messi and Ronaldo, you know, we're a big fan of Ronaldo and and Ronaldinho Mm -hmm. and Messi. Do you think they they did ball mastery, or do you think they they just did it naturally? They definitely had to incorporate ball mastery. There's no way that they could have done it without it. Now, they might have had a different plan or style and how you do it, but... If you're talking about Ronaldinho, you're talking about Ronaldo. They all played futsal in their youth. Correct. I mean, but they played futsal the right way, not a way a lot of us play it. Correct. So that, you know, again, you're, you're getting a lot more touches on the ball. You're, you're playing in much more tight spaces. You have to learn how to deal with things. And that ends up playing a huge difference and a huge role. But if you look at academy systems now throughout the world, they're incorporating ball mastery all over their, their training because you have to learn how to master the soccer ball. Have you seen results with your players that have ball mastery skills? That yes. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. So I'll start with the first one, which was Keanu, who was actually your son. Which and, is... and Keanu just showed up in the room. Say hello, Keanu. Hello. So Ke- Keanu uh, met Kyle in age of how old were you? Ten. Yeah. So Keanu was 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 ten when uh, he met Coach Kyle, and and I would like to say a little bit about that. When I first met Kyle, I really thought Keanu was a superb player, and you know I think all parents believe that, but Kyle told me. If, if <laughs> he doesn't even know how to juggle, he doesn't even know how to receive the ball. And, and we can laugh about it, but in reality, we have videos, hours of videos, right? I still have we, very, it's on my computer. I should bring it over and show you. It's pretty funny. Yeah, if we did a video cast, right? Mm, if yeah. we did a video, uh, uh, you know, if we put this on Facebook, I think people can see that. But but go on, tell us a little bit about what, what Keanu. Yeah, so it is kind of like you said, you know, you asked me if I could, you know, do a session for your kids because you said they were a very good level. This I, is kind I of, thought they were very good. Yeah, so this is when I kind of first got into coaching. I mean, it was maybe two months after I was actually at Four Corners. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, you were like, Hey, let's go meet up. Let's do this. I said, sure. So I actually wrote out a, a plan and I'm like, this is what, you know, I would do for, you know, top players at this age. And, you know, we were doing it and it wasn't, I was just like, was he serious? Were they a good level? And I was talking to Mitchell and I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to redo the whole thing. And that's when I changed everything. And I focused on ball mastery right. because I could see that they hadn't achieved it and they hadn't, they hadn't practiced it and they needed that kind of training to get to the next level. Tell the listeners what type of curriculum we developed. So I mean, essentially, I, I think that's important because what one thing I see is a lot of, first of all, a lot of people always hype up their serve, yeah. like I said. But a lot of people either A, don't want to invest money or time, yeah. right? So we'll tell, tell them what curriculum and well, what, what we did. I'm going to give you a funny story. I, I don't think I've ever told you this. I've actually had people call me mm-hmm. and say, hey, I've seen what you've done with Keanu. Can you do that to my son mm-hmm. or daughter? And I'm like, one thing that people have to realize is, you know, yeah, I can, you know, I helped Keanu get there or I helped any player get to the point that they're at now, but it comes down to how much they want to work. And this is kind of the first conversation I have with anybody now is I, I have no problem working with anybody's kid, anybody's child. I work with at any level from rec to college, yeah, which I've done. And I always tell them, like, it comes down, I'll show them everything they need to know and I'll help them get better if they want to get better and they want to improve. Okay. And, I, and I think some people, either they don't, they haven't grasped that concept. So in yet. other words, you're trying to be coy about it, but you, sometimes people want to be good, but they don't want to spend the time. Right. Spend the time or put like most people don't realize how many hours and that yeah, I guess well, we're gonna let, break let's down. Tell now. The listeners what, uh, so we, we basically created a program and this was like the entry program which was ten weeks, four sessions a week for an hour and a half a day. And that was completely focused on mastering the ball. And if you probably took a normal kid who had some interest in soccer, they probably wouldn't They'd probably be a lot better, but they probably wouldn't have reached the level because, or level that Keanu did when he went from essentially Division Three to DA in three months. Correct. And that's, and that's all because of, in my opinion, all the work that he did on the side with the ball. Well, a, a lot of people don't understand is that our goal wasn't DA. Yeah, it was I just mean, to get better. Our, our goal was just to get better. Yeah. The reason is that you know once people saw how he can control the ball, I mean that's what DA wanted, and yeah. you know. But our goal was, if I'm correct, to play for Coach Mitchell, right? I mean, that's that's what we that wanted. That was a goal, yeah. That was a goal. Yeah, that was because a goal. <laughs> cause, uh, one, of the thing, one, one of the things I think a lot of people don't know is that when what they what we wanted was to play just better, just just play just just play a good style, right? And I think the rise was that quick. I mean, literally, it went from. I mean, you just happened to tell me, "Oh, I'm going. I'm taking there with these DA trials. I'm going just to see how he does." Right. And then you ended up getting picked. Right. And it's just, it's funny because that was literally three months, I mean, 10 weeks of training. I think we took one week off, maybe right. a week and a half. Yeah, and I think it was because you had to travel, right? You yeah, had to go yeah, to Europe. So that, that, I mean, the amount of work, I mean, you're talking hour. I think I broke it down. I have a, a stat somewhere on my computer and I broke down how many hours that he did. And it was like 60 something hours of mastering the ball. And... You know, I'm curious for you as a question. You went overseas with him to OL. How did his level? I mean, obviously, I got the notes from Joel, but level-wise, how do you think he compared? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, he was taken to his own side, right? I mean, there is no parent hovering over there. I mean, the only reason why I was involved was because I didn't have anywhere to go. But if they could, they would have shooed me away. But uh, um, I felt that he was on on par. You know, remember, it's U11, so there really isn't much physical differences. Yeah. But they did focus a lot on the on playing as a team. You know, they did focus a lot on futsal. 
Mm -hmm. um, they did play a lot. But uh, the language barrier was really hard. We don't master uh, French. Yeah. So it was really hard for instruction. But I think physically and uh, you know, technically, he, he was so par. He was par. Um, but we, we did like it. But now, let's, let's get back to the, the development of players. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about other players that you found. I don't want this being uh, something that the listeners feel, hey, Mario's talking about his, his son yeah. you know, or his daughter. Because we also have to give props to Leanne. Because Leanne really did also uh, rise, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it if it wasn't for the terror of the ACL, we wouldn't have uh, the same system. Yeah. But, I mean, Leanne also did spend a lot of time in hours. She spent the same amount of time doing the same work. So, yeah, yeah she yeah. did very good. So, the only difference was she didn't have the same rise because the system's not the same. Correct. So Girls is a little bit different, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they just now, they just now have, like, the first DA program. Yeah. So, it's a big difference. But, you know, she, she's done a very good job. Her technique is probably the best I've ever seen out of a girl. So, she's a very, very good technical skill. yeah. So, so tell us about some other players, some other so players that have risen. I, we, I mean, we've done very good work with a lot of kids. Uh, I still work with a lot of them. Actually, pretty much all of them, they still come. And one of, I'll, I'll talk about two, I'll highlight two. Uh, I actually just had training this morning with was Nick and Noah. Okay. So, and those are two kids that have also come such a long way in terms of their development because, I, I mean, I have video when they first started and I still watch all of them. And it's just amazing to see that, you know, they couldn't juggle. They couldn't, they didn't have the proper technique for dribbling. They didn't have the proper this. And, and part of the thing with ball mastery is I, I go through and I teach a kid exactly how to dribble the right way, how to touch a ball in, in a certain technique. So if it's a toe tap, making sure that the toe is up. If you're doing a foundation, using the inside part of the foot. And I think that's something that differentiates me because I've seen other coaches and they don't show the kids the proper technique. And that's something that I'll sit down, I'll break it down, I'll get down with the kid and show them how to do it properly so that they build that habit and build that, that fundamental process. Do you, do you believe that sometimes parents just say um, the coach will train them or they will eventually become a soccer player? Is that what you think? I see it all the time, yeah. I mean, people think that, and, and this is because probably in Europe or anywhere else, if you go to your team training as a pro club or not, you're getting the necessary things to develop. And here, we don't have that. So if you're going to be a, a successful player, you have to spend hours and hours of training with a personal coach that somebody's going to actually help you. Tell us about uh, Nick and Noah. In their, what time do they train? I think it's important okay, to so, listeners to know about that. So we do training two or three times a week at 6.30 in the morning. So we like this week, we did Wednesday and Friday. So we're out there on a field at 6.30 training every morning. And today's focus, for example, was all on first touch. And that was essentially learning to control a ball focused mainly today on out of the air. So, you know, long passes in the air, high balls really high in the air, or just off the ground in a positive first touch, trying to set up the next thing, whether that's going into a dribble or going into a pass or going into a shot. Gotcha. Not, so, most, not most kids will wake up at 6.30. No, you have to have a very, very serious drive to become a better soccer player. And I think it's funny that the listeners know, I mean, we've been chased out of parks at 6.30 in the mm -hmm. morning. We've had to deal with mosquitoes. I don't know if most people know, but there are mosquitoes at 6.30 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And it's just, it's just tiring. Why do you think the kids do it? I, th I think they do it for two reasons. One, they, they want to become better. And two, they know they're going to get better. Because again, you know, I've had conversations with other parents and they're like, you know, 
my club team isn't giving me what my kid needs. You know, do you think it's the club's duty to give what the kids need? If let's break it down, let's break it down. Let's talk about that because a lot of parents do say that. I think if we if our system was like Europe, then yes, because that's what they get. They get it over there. Do you think it could be done within an hour and a half? If other countries are successful, why can't we do it? Well, I mean, that's a million-dollar question. So, But, and again, our system's different. So that I, I, I want to maybe put a little bit of my thought in it. It's kind of hard for a club to develop kids, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, look, one of the reasons is I grew up watching Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. you know. And what I saw with Tiger Woods, he had a dad named Earl Woods. Earl would just take him to a driving range every day. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then he hired a professional. Yep. And then they went on the circuit. To me... The, the GCF games in the in GCF is just a local league, you know, and then the U.S. soccer and, and the DA, to me, it's just a circuit. Mm-hmm. I think the development is done by a, by a professional trainer mm-hmm. like you or a good club. But the thing is that the clubs have so many kids that it's physically impossible for a coach to, to do that. That's my opinion. What do you think about what I just said? So I do definitely agree with what you're saying. I think last point I want to hit is the fact that if you go to a European academy, they have one team per age group. Mm-hmm. Now, they might have two at like U8 or something, but that's when they're trying to evaluate the kids and see who's actually going to be in their system. So if you only have one team per age group, it makes it a lot easier to actually develop players. Now, if you look at most club teams, like you said, in the U.S., they have three, four. So it, it adds, it, it makes it difficult to actually develop kids. But then the other side of that is academies anywhere else pretty much in the world, their job is to develop players because their system requires it or else they're not going to succeed. So they have to develop players because that's how they make a lot of money. So you really think a club can develop players? I think they do a very good job, but the other side of that is internationally, kids are always playing soccer. They're always playing pickup soccer. They're always playing street soccer. They're always involved in the game. I mean, I went to France when I was 12 just as a vacation because we went to go meet some friends. And we went out to a restaurant, and right outside of the kids were playing pickup soccer, just in the grass, playing. And so I actually left dinner to go play with those kids. I just walked over and said, hey, can I play? I didn't know French, but I, you know, one kid happened to speak a little bit of English. The next thing you know, I'm playing soccer with a bunch of French kids that right. I never knew. And it's right. like, you know, that's – and they all happen to play soccer for clubs. And so there's a big difference, again, of culturally that kids are now playing soccer all the time, whereas here they're – Maybe they have, you know, there's multiple options in sport. There's multiple options in outside activities, whereas soccer is, you know, most kids over in Europe or pretty much anywhere around the world live, breathe, eat, sleep, soccer. So you you brought us the attention of ball mastery. You shared us some success stories. Let's talk a little bit about futsal. Let's, um, why do you personally have such a passion for Futsal. I know you went to Brazil. That was your first experience with futsal. Oh, I did futsal but, before that. But tell us a little bit. Why, why are you so passionate about it? Because I, I've been able to see the results. I mean, I played futsal in my youth. Mm-hmm. Paul was the one that introduced, introduced me to it, of course. And when I went to Brazil, that's when I actually got to see the level. Because, you know, you, you hear about, you, you see Ronaldinho on TV and that's mm-hmm. something else. But what half those guys can do with a ball is... It was insane to see. I mean, they were fantastic footwork, and that's because they're playing futsal all the time. When you play in smaller-sided spaces with a smaller ball that's heavier, the ball's going to be in play a lot longer. It's not going to leave the field of play as much. And 
you're always required to stay engaged in the game. Whereas if you watch soccer, you'll see players, you know, kind of check out of the phase of play because they're a striker and they don't need to go defend because coaches will say, hey, you can stay up there. We're going to hit a long pass and you're gone. And when you play futsal, you can't do that because if you lose one player, you've just lost 25% of your team based on four, four core players. Do you, so, like, do you like futsal? Yeah. I, I actually personally enjoy it better than soccer in terms of like for kids because, and, and for myself because it's faster. It's, it requires you to think that much quicker. You don't have time. I actually read a study, I want to say seven months ago, that said the average player in futsal is under pressure within one second. And then they compare that to the Premier League, which is in England. And that's the top league. It was 2.3 seconds. So there's, again, between a, a futsal space to a, you know, the, arguably the highest level of soccer in the world is there's a 1.3 second gap in terms of pressure. Gotcha, gotcha. So that, you know, kids and players now have to think that much quicker to process. Tell listeners what, what you do with futsal. How do you incorporate it? Because let's say someone wants to be a soccer player. Okay. How does futsal participate, like, so, for example? I like to include at least once a week. I try and do, I have a program that I run that's called Futsal Fridays. Mm -hmm. So I try and get that once a week. It doesn't always work because of gym availability and timing, but that way kids are getting a different type of style of game because soccer is fantastic. But if kids are also actively playing futsal, that can help them because now they're getting a lot more touches compared to a normal practice. They have to think a lot more critically in my opinion, and then they can't hide and wait for the ball to come to them because they have to, be actively engaged in both the offensive and defensive phases of play. Tell the listeners how you, uh, what type of futsal activities you've done in the past. Like, tell us a little bit about competition, coaches you brought in, because I think you have done a little bit different than others. I think DA did something about a year ago, but they haven't replicated it again. Tell us what you did with futsal that's different. So I really focused on the rotational aspects and that's if you watch professional futsal that's how you play it mm -hmm. it's very similar to basketball in that sense because it's you have a basketball play a rotation in futsal is the same you have a play that you run and so you run you probably i mean pro teams probably have like 20 20 might be high but you know 10 to 20 plays and you're going to take youth players and give them plays that they have to try and memorize, study, whatever it is, and help them. They're going to use it in a game because you would call out a number or a letter or whatever you're going to call it. They're going to run this play, and you use that to try and unlock the other team because you'll see a lot of, a lot of players or a lot of teams will pass aimless, aimlessly, and they don't have a way to break somebody down. And, and we saw that when we went to the World Futsal Championships. We played every American team with you know, Keanu, Nick, not Nick, Noah, and a couple other players that we had. We played the American teams. They didn't have a way to break us down very well. But when we played Brazil... When we played Bermuda, they ran plays, and that right. made it much more difficult for us. Tell us about your experience with the World Futsal. So I thought it was a very good experience, and it was a very unique challenge. I actually had a good friend of mine who is – his name is Coach Walter Bartolotti, who is the head coach of a professional futsal club in Belgium. And just as an interesting side note, he just got hired by the Belgian FA to teach all Division One and Division Two futsal coaches in Belgium. So shout-out to Walter. Yeah, big shout-out. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So – in my opinion, he's, you know, one of the best futsal coaches in the world. And he's actually coached in the UEFA Champions League for futsal. So, you know, just having him here with the time that he so was. So you brought him down, right? Yeah. So he came and he, he helped coach the 05-06 team that we took. And I learned an awful lot. So I'm sure that they learned an awful lot. And I think he really helped us, one, prepare, two, play better, 
in terms of playing actual futsal. And three, just the experience that he had, I think, really helped the kids in, in the game situations because he had an answer for everything. If there was one thing, he said, okay, you're going to do this instead. If there was this, okay, we're going to do this. Right. And I think that really simplified the game for everybody. I, I think Walter brought professionalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, how many kids, U12, Good chance get a chance that. to play for a professional coach, you know? Um, it was also very, very, very tough for them. I mean, mentally, I mean, it's... It, it was just a good learning experience for everybody. Well, I think until the week before, I mean, we were training every day. Remember, right. we were in that small little gym, right. just training, and it was tough. It was a two, big commitment. It was two hours, and it was it was big a lot of work. To it was the, fun to the group that committed. It was fun. And but um, that's futsal. Now, so you told us a little bit about your youth. You told us about your college. You told us a little bit about your professional stance. You told us about your company. You told us what your company really entails. You know, um, I want you to think about. Are you criticized a lot? I mean, do do you feel you with your thoughts and your ideas? Are are are, are people receptive, or are you criticized a lot? I'm very curious about that. I've never had somebody tell me that they don't like what I do. Now, I've heard people say, "Well, I don't understand why Coach Kyle does that." And what does what? Ball Let's mastery, get very ball okay. mastery, and but those are a lot of the times more. I've never had a parent say, oh, I don't like it or whatever. I, I, every parent that I've had liked it. It's more kids that they don't understand why they're doing it yet. Why do you think they don't understand? Because they haven't, they haven't, most of the kids haven't had that type of training. So they don't, they don't understand why they're doing it, why it's necessary. And they think that they don't need it to become a better soccer player. Like, I, I mean, I spoke to a kid literally three days ago who's been coming to my off-season training program that I'm running. And he showed up for the first time. He hasn't come the whole time. And I'm, he, he doesn't like doing the work. And I was like, okay, well, out of curiosity, what is your goal when it comes to soccer? And he's like, well, I want to be a professional. And I said, you want to be a professional, but you don't want to work hard. And he's like, yeah, but you know, you watch some of the other players that don't work hard. And I'm like, but you think they're going to be professional? And that's, I, I think it's a shift in mindset if, and education because if there's a clear path that says, you know, the kids need this to become, follow their dreams, whatever it is, whether that's going to a DA or going to college or going internationally or playing professionally in the U.S., whatever it is, that is a fundamental piece to, to achieving that. I mean, there's no absolutely zero question about it. Correct. So Hard work, right? Hard work. But, I mean, there's plenty of people that work hard, but it's working hard the right way. Efficient. I mean, how many people, efficient is a good word, how many people maybe go out and train on their own, but then they're shooting the whole time and they're not working on things that can actually help them get better because you need to master multiple aspects to your game versus just one aspect. If you master just shooting, but you don't know how to dribble well or don't know how to beat somebody 1v1 or control a ball out of the air or let alone on the ground, you know, you're not going to get picked up by anybody. Tell me, tell me some players that inspired you. Give me a, a lineup. I know a lot of the kids say, hey, this is my lineup, starting nine lineup. Starting so lineup. I would give you my five all-time favorite players. First one is Paul Scholes. Why? Just... For me, he is probably – okay, let me rephrase that. He's the best player I've ever seen play, and that's just because what he could do with the soccer ball and the way he would control games as an English player mm -hmm. was – I mean, I tried to base my game off of his because he was that good. I mean, he could hit a pass one anywhere, but I would just watch – I would break down and watch video of him. Like, I would film Manchester United games and just watch him and just see, like, he would connect passes and he would go and get it again. Connect another pass, go and get it again. And it's, you know, he controlled games. He took over games. Tell us about the other players. So my second 
If I had to give a top five, my second all-time favorite would be Robin Van Persie. Okay. And he was a former Arsenal player who went to Manchester United later. And I just really liked his style and his technique. And the things that he could do with the ball were, again, just incredible. And I think it was just because of his, not arrogance, but his confidence. Like he was a very, very confident player. I would say Pavel Nedved. You may or may not have heard of him. He played for, he was a Czech Republic player. He played for Juventus for a long time. And again, a guy that could do anything with the soccer ball. Fourth one was Ronaldinho. And then fifth one was Xavi from Barcelona. So you're talking about guys that are experts with the ball, first right. and foremost. But then we're, and Ronaldinho is probably the most expert player with a ball ever. You think so, he's naturally gifted? Naturally gifted, but I mean, he just worked. He has a quote that he says, I don't, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said that my control is like a futsal player. He's like, I played futsal that much. I controlled like a futsal player. Gotcha. So it, it again. Yeah, he has a fame of, as a partier. Yeah, he but does. But he did yeah. work hard yeah, he, playing. He really he, What he could do is incredible. So, so it adds up. Tell us, um, I'm going to wrap it up, but tell us what you would summarize for a kid that wants to be great. What, what, what would you recommend for a kid? So to summarize, because we're going to end up, we're going to end our, our first ever podcast. Okay. So the first thing I would say is between the ages of really seven to I'll say 12 and it could be extended to 14 ball mastery needs to be the number one priority above anything else. Because if you want to play soccer, let's just say at the professional level, and I'm not even talking about the highest level at the professional level, you haven't mastered the ball. It's not possible. So let's say you want to play, you know, in the championship or you get to play in the championship. If you haven't mastered the soccer ball, the, the chances of you doing that are so few and far between. It's just good luck. Now, after that, it's really building into the tactical and then physical and mental and really combining all the traits to become a better soccer player, learning how to play, when to pass, when to dribble, where you need to be, body position, are you on a half turn, are you always scanning? And, and I think here in the U.S., players aren't taught how to scan very well in, in terms of being comfortable with their surroundings, in terms of what are they taking those mental pictures, learning what's coming so that way when you receive the ball, you know what you're going to do with it. And I think that's an undertaught value. And if you honestly have a goal to play professional, playing in America will take it will be the very hardest thing that you can do where you, your best chance would honestly probably be to go to Europe and try and play. So you, okay, I agree. That I agree. would be my... I, I thought another question. What would you tell parents that want to help their kids follow that dream? So I would tell them, first, you need to train with me. And the reason why I say that is, is I'm joking but serious at the same time because I don't know anybody else that offers what I offer, especially in terms of technical development in terms of actually getting the key things you need to play at the next level, building the fundamental base and then moving on to the next parts. And if, if you play for a club team and you're not doing extra training, playing at the next level in the U S at least playing at the next level, it won't be possible because you, you're not getting all the training that you need to reach the next level. And then it's a matter of trying to build and, and push to reach the next level, whether that's going into the DA and trying to get seen because there's too many very good kids that don't get noticed. They get pushed through the cracks. And, and that's usually at a little bit older ages, but they need to be playing at a level where they're going to get noticed. And a lot of times that happens, or they get pushed through the cracks because they don't have the money 
to, to take care of that. And, that, mm -hmm. and that's a common thing that I, I see a lot. So it, it's tough because we have essentially, in my opinion, soccer is almost an elite of sport here because you need money to do anything with it. And it, it makes it much more difficult. And in my opinion, the long-term goal needs to try, needs to be to try and get to Europe if you actually have a goal of playing professional soccer, especially at the highest level. And I think I do. So. Kyle, I appreciate your time, bro. Thanks, Thanks for having Real. me. I really, I really enjoyed it. I think our, our few listeners, shout out again to Dave. And <laughs> uh, Dave will probably be listening, you know. Uh, I, I, I think you, you made an impact. And I, I, I invite you to continue, you know, and, and keep going at it. I know in a few years when we all get older, you know, this will come second nature. But I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted record you when you were young. I mean, you know, the passion you have is, is, is shown in your players. And I wanted others to know, you know, that you do care about the sport, you do want it to succeed, and that you do want to make these players better. And they have, and they have, and I think that's the kudos. And I think one day, maybe you can put a stat in there and tell us how many players have gone BA, how many players have gone ECNL. And uh, I hope people get this podcast and, and understand that it's not about the name mention. It's about what you personally do because the personal, the personal esteem that these players have obtained will carry on to their next lives because not all of us, not in the next life, their, their next, their next stage in their life. Right. I, I think it will carry on to their careers and that's why I wanted to thank you. And that's why I did the podcast. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening to my podcast and, um, uh, Enjoy, and I'll be interviewing other coaches. So thanks again.